I'm Lucia. I'm Elena. And this is an Inconvenient Podcast. And this is an Inconvenient Podcast. (laughs) Thanks, Elena, for the backup. Um, Elena, what are we doing here? So Lucia and I are going to be bringing you four articles per week, two each, about climate and environment news. And two of the articles are going to be roses, and two of the articles are going to be thorns. Lucia, what do I mean by roses and thorns? You know what? If you just Google environmental news, it's pretty bleak. And you can really get into a doom and gloom little hole by digging yourself deep into that hole on the internet. And we want to let you know that there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of progress. Mm -hmm. And so we want to give you a balanced perspective of what is going on. Yes. And better yet, Lucia, what are credentials? So Elena and I both got our master's in health science and environmental journalism. And we're, you know, just climate communicators here to have a good time. We're both very concerned about what's going on with the environment. But we also want to enjoy our lives and um and laugh and laugh okay so heard of it heard of it it's uh, it's uh it's god's medicine it's god's medicine it is so as environmental communicators and people who have studied environmental journalism we know how difficult it can be to find a solid source of environmental news it's still sort of i would say a burgeoning industry within um, environmental journal within journalism the field mm-hmm. within the field of journalism um, there aren't really enough journalists out there reporting on these issues they don't often get yeah. like front page um, coverage even though that is it's uh, getting more and more coverage um, for example in our program uh, we had nine people in our concentration and um, so- the sports, Specialization had over a hundred. So that's sort of like a good reflection of the industry. And we really want to be able to provide you with resources to help you navigate your environmental and climate change news journey, because there's so many different places to get information. And we want to help provide you with a cohesive understanding of what's going on. Yeah. And there's so many ways to look at climate news. Like as Lucia said, um, you know, climate and environment news can often be like incredibly depressing. And I'm sure, Lucia, you know about like the articles that you mm. read that are so sad and they're all about how our earth is melting, uh, polar bears, um, environmental justice that, you know, the United States is just wrought with. Um, but there's also ways to look at these articles and to maybe even write these articles that look more at like solution solutions to to these issues or ways that people are fighting back um or or um yeah fighting those who are making climate change worse or making their neighborhoods worse with environmental degradation and i think that that's something that's really important when you're looking at um news in this topic that it's not going to always be depressing especially Mm -hmm. if you're looking at 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 specific news sources and finding the right stories Exactly. And 
hopefully there is a lot more coverage. I think because people really care about the issue more and more, there's going to be even more coverage. But there's a reason it's hard to find environmental news. Uh, Chris Hayes um, from MSNBC talks about, uh, or he, he got in a very heated Twitter battle um, or discussion. <laughs> I don't think it was a battle. That was me projecting on it. But, um, <laughs> you know, he said that he, like he wants to cover environmental issues more, but when they talk about climate change, their ratings go down. And because our current media landscape is for the most part uh, dependent on ads and like outside sources of revenue, uh, it's all about your viewers, uh, which is sad. And hopefully media will change. Media will change. change. Um, uh, but what we mean then. by that, <laughs> what we mean by that is that every journalist that we like will be moving to Substack <laughs> and creating their own profiles and media accounts, and everything will be at an individual level. Everybody will be their own nonprofit. Nonprofits will be people. So, should we get started? <laughs> yeah, let's get started. On that note, let's get started. Let's get started. I'm so excited to hear what you have to tell me today. Right. So my thorn, which I thought Mm -hmm. was a worse thorn than it was, but it's still a pretty bad thorn, is that water is now joined gold and oil and other commodities and being traded on Wall Street. So um, people can hedge or place bets on what the future of water is going to look like, which is hey. was really, really, yeah, it was very jarring for, I feel like a lot of people when they saw this get published, um, was that <laughs> water is, the, the future of water is so uncertain and there's been so many issues with water scarcity already that now water is becoming this commodity that people are, are betting on, which, um, which, yeah, uh, is quite crazy. And it's specifically in California, and this comes after eight years of drought in California. So um, for eight years, California has been having a lot of issues with water, with um, forest fires, and now um, the future looks even more shaky. So uh, people people can buy contracts that are worth 10 acre feet of water, which is equal to 3.6 million gallons of water. And what happens then is in the future, uh, the price of water could go up, which is really great for the people who just bought these, uh, bought these contracts. It could stay the same, which uh, is also just kind of fine for the people who bought the contracts, or they could go down, which is bad. But the assumption, I guess, that a lot of people are making who want to make money off of this resource is that though that the water the as scarcity continues uh water is gonna become more expensive or like the oh. the like the um yeah like as a resource it's gonna be more expensive not necessarily like the water that's coming out of our pipes but that yeah. could eventually happen um so really i i think it's it this is a field that is more it feels like for the wealthy and yeah, not seriously, for, not for me, but it is, is so it doesn't really impact water. what we're saying is it's time to invest. <laughs> it's what we're saying is become wealthy and invest <laughs> in 
in um, in the water futures is what they're called. But that I think more insane. the point. Well, I think more the point is that water is now becoming a commodity on Wall Street, which is yeah scary. I think that scares me because it's also I don't want to make too. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist here, but like if if they're taking their money in and out of the stock market based on how water is doing, couldn't there be manipulation there in some way? Well, yeah, I, I also thought about that. So there is, in order to manipulate the market, you would have to have so much influence and power and money to be able to do that. And I think for water, it would be complicated. So it would be more like if I was a very influential person in the markets, I could be like, okay, well, 2030, it's looking like water is going to look real bad or real good. And so then people start placing bets on kind of what I just said because they believe me. So it's kind of like convincing people that, manipulating people that the market's going to do one thing. So then you, as a personal investor or a, a corporation, you can make gains from this... I guess you could say like rumor on water. <laughs> That's so uh, dystopian. It's yeah, it's and I think what's so scary about it is like this stuff has happened forever with like oil and gold, but water is water and I think it's so scary to think that in the future water is kind of like this abstract commodity that you can just throw around and make money off of. You're making money off of the scarcity of water, which is which I think is it's really dark. That's really it's dark. dark. It's dark. So and it's, it's not, not like I. <laughs> it's so it's not like that. This article um, is right now. I'm like reading it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, my water supply. But what it did give me was existential dread. Yeah, yeah. For the future of for what, the future. What, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not just in California. It's like Joliet is running out of water and right now they're negotiating with their okay so how it works in the midwest Juliet where like right outside chicago one of the suburbs okay. so how mm-hmm. it works um for you listeners out there um with the great lakes uh laws is if you live in okay so for chicago people if you live in the basin which is basically like the outline of cook county you have legal rights to like Michigan water and like you mm-hmm. automatically get it. But so outside suburbs um, have to like pay to divert water, which um, if water is going to be diverted from the Great Lakes, then every single Great Lakes mayor has to sign off on it. Um, and then those suburbs have to pay. And right now Joliet's groundwater is like Joliet's ba- almost out of water. Like they're going to be out of water by 2030. So right wow. now, um, they're in talks with, they're trying to, Chicago, they're choosing between like Chicago and Hammond, Indiana, of who they're going to get their water from. Either way, it's Lake Michigan, but they're just like, they're like, who is going to get the money basically? And like, where is, what's, what's up with their groundwater? Um, it's just, they're, it's drying up They're wow. They've like used it. I think it's their groundwater. It's also like their, I think it, I'd have to double check this. It's like their wells. I know this because a big issue right now is that a huge intermodal facility, which would have like really bad environmental impacts. Joliet's like trying to bring it in and it's illegally 
it's like unlawfully allowed zoning to happen for it without like giving enough community input. And Mm -hmm. it would take that intermodal facility would take so much water where they're like already on the brink of a water crisis. So it's just a bad idea overall. It's like, it would be a bad thing and wouldn't actually like give that much money to Juliet. But it's, it's a very immediate thing because the suburbs bordering Chicago, um, are they're not getting their water from Lake Michigan right now. I think maybe a few are there. I think there was a city in Wisconsin. Maybe it was Racine, Wisconsin. I can't remember. But um, there was like a lot of legal stuff going on because it's like a really big deal if water is going to be diverted. So it's yeah, very it's very real. And more so on that with the Great Lakes is that there have been discussions and talks of people migrating eventually to the Great Lakes because it would be a water source and people kind of preparing for that migration in the future because they're coming from places that are water scarce and stay in the basin. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's really just like the safest place to be right now during climate change is the Great Lakes, um, which I think is really is really wild. It's funny. I uh, yeah, I'm buying real estate. Yeah, buy some land. Buy land. Buy apartment buildings. Become a landlord. Um, <laughs> a landlord. Control control the people. Yeah. <laughs> evict the people. Evict them. <laughs> Become a landlord and immediately evict them. No, don't That's do what, that. Don't do that. But that don't is. That. We are. We are funded by the. <laughs> The Landlord Association. <laughs> yeah, we That's are. not true. Don't. That's not even a joke. We are funded by landlords of America. We want to accept landlord. that money. Yeah. We are funded enough. by the landlords of America in that I am living in my dad's basement. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so we talked about water scarcity. We talked about water scarcity. And now we're going to talk about oil. Oh, we were just, that's crazy. Water and oil. Water and oil, oil and water. Heard of it? They go together and make a delicious dressing. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, mm, okay, let me pull up Adobe Acrobat. Um, So this is a a new thing that I didn't realize was going on um, and was a little unsettling, but there's also a little bit of hope in this. So this article is from Mother Jones. And uh, it's called The Number of Abandoned Oil and Gas Wells is on the Verge of Exploding. What happens next? Oh, is this like, was this originally published with Grist? I think so, yes. Yeah, okay. I think that, yeah, it was originally published in Grist and appears as part of their Climate Desk partnership. Yeah, they like share stories, which I would say if you're looking for places to look for climate news, this is really great. They have a great collaboration going. Great collaboration, both Grist and Mother Jones, two of my favorite places to get information. So... Um, so this, this story sort of, um, follows a family and, um, they had, they're in Oklahoma and they have a lot of land and they had a cattle ranch and they grew pecans, pecans, um, and they have three oil wells on their property. Um, and, so this is like totally new to me. I didn't realize that there are just tons of unused oil wells all over the United States. There are like yeah. millions of oil wells. And basically what happens is oil companies create these oil wells to get oil. 
Um, and then if they like go bankrupt, uh, they'll just leave the oil well. And mm-hmm. um, they describe their the wells on their property as rusty old pipes sticking out of the ground. And then a few feet away from them were these really large tanks of oil that um, they, like oil was just pooling. And if any leaked out, it would run down the hill and then do a nearby lake by them. So this mm-hmm. is like a problem all over the United States. Um and to the sons of this father who owned the land, uh, they happened to work in the oil industry, and so they want they like wanted to find a way to plug them up, and um, and so this article is focused on Oklahoma, which currently has over eight hundred wells on its list of plugging projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have 12,000 more on its list of orphaned wells. And orphaned wells are abandoned wells that could technically be adopted and pumped again. But a spokesperson from Oklahoma Corporation Commission said many of them are fated to move over to the state's plugging list. So um, there, and it's not just like Oklahoma, it's all over the country. So there were 50,000 wells on state cleanup lists in 2018. Um, and then they're probably somewhere between 200,000 and 70, 750,000 more abandoned wells that like aren't in any records. Mm-hmm. And that includes, oh, and, and then, so this is not including wells that are idle, um, meaning they like still have an owner. So an oil company probably still owns them, but they haven't produced any oil or gas in years. And so are just sitting there and, um, so, like, total, that probably equals about $2.1 million. Or $2.1 million. Hold on. going to... That... So, that equals about $2.1 million wells just sitting around. Um, and so, the big issue with this is that when they're left unsealed, they um, can become pathways for oil and gas to migrate mm-hmm. into groundwater and soil, and that's hazardous for wildlife and stock and human or livestock and humans. And of course, like it could make the water, the groundwater totally toxic. Um, but one of the bigger issues with this is emissions because unplugged wells leak methane, which is yeah. 86 times more effective at heating up the planet than carbon dioxide. Um, over the first 20 years, it's in the atmosphere. And methane can also explode. Um, and it, when there's methane, there are often other chemicals that are really dangerous, like benzene, which mm-hmm. is um, a known carcinogen linked to leukemia and low birth weight. So if that leaks into groundwater, that can, like, you know, that can poison, like, an entire town. So there are these nonprofits being created um, because people who formerly worked in the oil industry, like, are starting to realize that this is a big problem and they want to find a way to uh, plug them. Um, so the the family that this story is about, they started an organization called uh, OAP Fund, which is short for Orphaned and Abandoned Well Plugging Fund. Um, and they're like, it's becoming, it's not like a new issue. This has always been an issue, um, but the problem is there hasn't been any successful legislation to deal with it because basically when the, when the wells are abandoned, then they're just left in the state's hands to take mm-hmm. care of, but there's not enough money to plug them because it's really expensive. Um, so let me pull up the dollar amounts here. So 
So the cost of plugging an oil or gas well varies, but like on average, it's $3,500 to $80,000 per well. And um, the average cost of plugging in Oklahoma is $25,000. And um, that's insane. And Mm -hmm. there, um, there was a plug job in Oklahoma that cost $800,000. So it's like you really need so much money to be able to plug these up. And uh, one of the other major problems is even if they're getting plugged up, like there are still um, new wells being created. Mm -hmm. So like the ratio of what's getting plugged to what's being creative created is um it's like that's a big problem so yeah so luckily like this is um it's an issue that is being considered more but like there was legislation in july of this year uh, the house of representatives um, passed a bill that would provide states with two billion dollars over five years to create jobs plugging abandoned wells um, but then the Republicans didn't support it. So, um, yeah, so it just stalled in the Senate. But there's one paragraph I really wanted to read because I thought it was interesting. So, technically, oil and gas companies are required by state and federal law to plug their own wells after they're done pumping them. Uh, thousands of uncapped wells sitting around predate those rules, and the number continues to grow due to several major flaws in present-day regulations. When a company applies for a permit to operate a well, state and federal laws require that it put up a deposit or bond to ensure there's money to eventually plug the hole and remediate the land. But companies pay so little upfront that the bonds don't incentivize cleanup or come close to covering the cost of plugging. For mm-hmm. many operators, it's easier to let their wells sit idle leaving open the distant possibility that they might decide to pump them again or sell them to another operator than to pony up the rest of the cash to plug them. Rules vary, but many states allow operators to keep their wells idle without plugging them for years. Um, Wow. Yeah. And so with COVID, it's even worse because there's been a reduced demand for oil and gas, Mm -hmm. which means that companies have left a lot of wells idle. Uh, yeah yeah so the hope I see in this is that um, (laughs) that there's some there's there people are addressing it they're addressing it but also like they're looking for alternative solutions to the wells so like there's one thought of repurposing them to tap into geothermal energy um, or turning them into energy storage systems um, to store like excess solar and wind energy. Um, And hopefully if we have a better political administration, yeah, hopefully, I mean, it's, it's also interesting because so like some of the newer systems of making wells, it digs deeper into the ground and makes it like horizontal. So it's harder to plug them. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a, it's an issue I just didn't even consider. And it's yeah. like, if people have oil, if they find oil on their land, then a well is just created and then it's just left there. And it's so crazy to me that there are all these like wells that were left because a company just went bankrupt. Like it's, it's just like one of the many problems with the oil industry is yeah. so unregulated and the environment is just totally not considered 
um, in their processes. And I'm yeah, and sick I mean, of it. It's like so many loopholes that are in the oil and gas industry and they can get away with insane amounts of um, leeway um, for for their businesses. And it's really crazy. Um, and even just um, in North Dakota earlier, I think it was in early November, North Dakota was supposed to use their COVID relief money from the government to plug up um, old wells and clean up old wells, but instead they decided to use the money to make more. Oh my god! Wells, um, which is which is really crazy because there's a lot um, of abandoned wells in North Dakota. It's um, it's like the second producer of. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, of. Um, I want to say of oil in um, in the United States. I did um, my article on like North Dakota specifically, and a lot of this stuff. I recently wrote an article for NCA about uh, fracking in North Dakota and how fracking can contaminate drinking water. Um, and a lot of what you're saying, like, is it's not exactly what I wrote about, but it is really similar where it, it talks about how there's a lot of lack of regulations that, um, there's a lot of abandoned wells. There's also, um, something called wastewater that comes from fracking, which kind of gets left around, um, can pollute groundwater. It probably pollute. has a lot of chemicals that we don't even know. Right. Cause they, yeah, have because, uh, secret, and that's, secret solutions that we're not allowed to know about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that was created by, um, the Cheney Bush, the Bush Cheney administration, who and it uh, was the Cheney. Let's be honest, it was the it was Cheney the Cheney Bush. administration. <laughs> it was the Cheney administration. Okay, um, called Watch the Halliburton. Vice. Called the Halliburton loophole. Halliburton um, was a oil and or is an oil and gas company that Cheney that Dick was Cheney ran right and so into, the, into uh, our ground right water. Um, and so in 2005, they passed this energy bill that within its Within its writing, pretty much just let fracking and oil, like oil, it let the oil and gas industry just not say what they were pumping into the ground. Um, so there's, there is a list. Which is the most insane thing. Right. And it is so insane. It's crazy. And the EPA has a list of over a thousand chemicals that can be found in, in these fluids, which is which is it really is crazy. So, and I have no other word for it but insane. It yeah. is It is why would that is like the sneakiest thing. Obviously, if they don't want to tell us it's bad. Yeah, yeah, and there's just so many other regulations and loopholes like it's What is the what is the justification for that? I mean, for that specific thing it was I don't know the exact justification except that I mean, it was Cheney's company, so he's going to help them in any way no, he can. No, it's actually sweet. It's sweet. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm overreacting. It's sweet that they, they didn't want us to panic about what they were poisoning the earth with. Yeah. It was more for our stress relief. Yeah, it was really kind of them, really. Cheney was a very kind kind man so (laughs) literally like he's run by a poltergeist just he had like five heart attacks and is just going strong did you You watch vice i did yeah and that's what i'm basing all this off (laughs) (laughs) i yeah i'm basing it on 
maybe stuff I've read, Vice, and then, like, my parents, like, absolute hatred of this man as I was growing up. He is, he's a sneak. He's He's a a snake. snake. He's a snake. He's a snake. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it, I also did not know very much about the oil and gas industry instead of, instead of, in, um, until I started like writing about this article and mm. researching and it's bonus article. Check it out. Oh, yeah. Article. Yeah. Check it, check it out. Also just check out NCIA because they do solution based journalism. So every Ooh. article is supposed to look at like, um, you know, ways that you can fix the issue at hand, the environmental issue at hand. So I think more, um, news organizations should really look at that, especially mm. for these really big issues. Like what can we do about it? So, um, and I think really that kind of journalism, some journalism talk, we'll have a little <laughs> musical thing that goes journalism talk. Um, <laughs> it, I think it's important because, you know, there's so many people, and I used to be one of them, that I was like, the news just stresses me out. I don't want to really pay attention to it. And it's because of how the news is delivered to us. Like, that's yeah. totally why. It's like, there, there is, you know, drama like gets more viewers and, um, and they, there is a, a predisposition to just give us like what it, the worst stuff that's going on. And I think if we had more solutions based journalism, it would be better for everyone's mental health. Yeah, it's a uh, isn't it called? It's called trauma porn. I'm pretty sure where mm-hmm. it's an article that's just about something that's very traumatic for the person that you're writing about. Um, but there's nothing, there's nothing to it. Like, I mean, the story yeah. is the story, right? But at the end of it, then what? Like, what yeah. are you gonna do with it? So that's you just have to sit there and know that. Yeah, then, know that, and then eat dinner. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then go to bed and then you wake up and you maybe feel a little better. <laughs> you have to sleep it off. That's yeah, what our journalism okay. is. The only way to get over it is to sleep it off. So check out Encina. Yeah. Yeah. E-N-S-I-A. Yeah. And Encina. And um, that uh, is a good transition to our roses. Our roses. So um, my rose for tonight is that the their... Uh, Archbishop Wilton Gregory was just elevated to um, the first black American cardinal um, on November 28th. And this is a really big deal, but not only because he is the first black American cardinal, but because he's also a huge climate change leader. So um, he is quoted saying in this article that I read from Inside Climate News, which is another really great uh, climate news um, website uh, is that this is not a Catholic issue. This is a human issue, and um, so which he the act- Pope has been talking about a lot, right? And too. so that is part of this. So um, a little bit about Wilton Gregory is he actually did a lot of work here in Illinois, and then he went over to Atlanta where he was an Archbishop, and then he moved to Washington D.C. and now he's going to be the Cardinal in Washington D.C., which is really great. Cool. And um, but five years ago. Pope Francis released the second, and I'm maybe going to say this wrong, and encyclical. Encyclical. Thank you so much. Uh, which is a papal letter sent to all the archbishops like throughout the whole world. And in part of that encyclical was that he was pretty much like global warming is a threat. It's a very real threat. And we, as Catholics, have to disinvest from fossil fuels um, and 
start to really confront this uh, climate disaster. And uh, Gregory, this um, archbishop at the time, he was in Atlanta, and he requested uh, help of some other um, Catholic environmentalists to put together a climate plan, which was a 52-page treatise on the science of climate change that offered Georgians... um, motivated by their faith, a roadmap for dealing with the warming earth. Um, it called for strengthened climate education at Catholic schools, prompted a series of local energy audits and efficiency improvements at churches Ooh. and schools, and asked priests to talk about climate change and encourage their par- parishioners, sorry, to call parishioners. parishioners. I'm your, I'm your Catholic. Um, Thank you. I'm not Catholic. So some of these terminologies, uh, well, I, know, I know the word parishioners. I just said it wrong the first time, uh, to call, write, or email their elected officials, uh, when a critical environment, dis- environmental decisions are being made at the local state and national level, uh, which is, I quoted that by the way, from Einstein climate news. Uh, so that's really great work that he did, uh, in Georgia, and then when he moved over to Washington, um, D.C., uh, which serves 655,000 Catholics, um, they're also reviewing a climate change action plan. Um, but what was really cool to hear about the specific um, now cardinal is that when Pope Francis announced that we really need to focus on climate change, he didn't get a lot of response from any of the archbishops in the United States, mm. except for this cardinal, Gregory. Yeah, our boy Gregory, who um, really took it seriously. And that's kind of part of why he had this great climate change plan that was in uh, Georgia. And now he's looking at one in Washington as well. Just so. goes to show you, be brave <laughs> and someone will hear you. It's like Lady Gaga said, in a yeah. room of 99 there will be one. That's I'm, that's I'm what they say about Catholicism in general, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought this was really nice news to hear because I feel like um, religion is a really, like there's so many very religious people, right? So people mm. who really um, are tuned to the Catholic faith and to other faiths as well. And it's really up to those leaders in those um, sections of um, our everyday life to step up and um, and talk about climate change and, and the science of climate change. So uh, it was really nice to read. And it's also really great to see that this is the first black cardinal and he's also, he's also a climate change leader. Hell yeah. Or should I say heaven yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope that there's a, a, a this version. I hope there's a... An, an, uh, what's, the, what's the other... The Christian, the big Christian faith that Trump, uh, oh, editing all this out. Protestant? No, it's not. Protestant? No, it's uh, it starts with an E. Uh, Episcopalian? No, 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 no. It's like the big one. Oh, evangelical. Uh, evangelical. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I really hope that you know there is an evangelical version of our boy Gregory because uh, I. That's it's there's so much denial on the evangelical faith and it's so confusing because they all read the same Bible. You know what? And we got to care for the earth. Yeah. And it's maybe we should all convert to Baha'ism. Baha'i. I'm a big Baha'i fan. If I were to. Yeah. If I were to 
to uh, to get back into it, I would. I, I consider. You know what? I actually think environmental because I was raised Catholic, and environmentalism like made me spiritual again. Because it made me feel connected to this bigger thing. And it was like, oh, the sense of purpose. But also just nature. Like, going into nature. Yeah. makes And gardening. It really makes you... It, like, changes the way your brain works. And, like, just is so stress-relieving. And sustainability, it's all about interconnectedness. And ecology is all about interconnectedness. And that's, the web of life. That's what our boy Gregory said, oh where God. he describes it as integrated ecology, including how racism fits into the understanding of climate change. And I think that's so important. I, I love him. That's really good news. That's it really is. I thought it, was, I thought it was a great... I thought it was a great... Rose. And so I might start I, going to church again. <laughs> Just kidding. So I Psych. want to say that these the that there is good climate and environment news out there. And people are people like this newly appointed cardinal are are out there and they're doing really great work to address climate change and I think that's really important to talk about as well. It's not all mm. bad. Now we just need to make women priests, and then I'll become one. Yeah, and stop all that sexual abuse. In yeah. The <laughs> no, like, let priests have sex. Let them have sex. You know, it's funny because I was, I went to a Lutheran school growing up, but I'm Catholic. So on the weekends, and, and Lutherans let women be pastors. Yeah. And they Lutherans let. Lutherans are chill. They're so chill. They let, I mean, they've got their issues too. Yeah. They yeah. let. But they let um, all the pastors get married and have families. And I never felt creeped out around those pastors, first of all. And second of all, so I would go to my Lutheran school chapel uh, once a week. And I would see a woman up there talking to us in robes. And then I would go to church on the weekends. And it was like going back in time. I was like, you know, you, you know women can do it. I was like, I, I'd see the priest up there who's just who's so he has such blue balls and i'd be like you know you you can have sex you know they yeah. do that you know you can yeah did you and tell it's fine that? i told i would stand up every sunday and say that right on top of the pews <laughs> yeah no i yeah longer story i went to church in a gymnasium but it's a longer <laughs> story story for another time but you know what i think there's a lot there i think it's all interconnected and i think if we let Priests have sex. We climate, climate change, change would be solved. <laughs> you yeah. were same wavelength. That same wavelength. is exactly the point of this podcast. Thank you. We're we're all about making connections here. And uh, anyway, speaking anyway, of connections, connections, missed connections, connecting flights. Um, so my article is from the Chicago Tribune, local journalism with paywalls. Hey. Oh. Um, let me just first say, j journalism talk, um, I, the, reading the Tribune is the most frustrating process. Because, first of all, they do have a paywall. Yeah. Um, so they shouldn't have ads popping up in your face every two seconds, but they do. Mm -hmm. And it is like... It is like running through traffic and trying to dodge cars. It is like every two seconds one pops up in my face. Um, but don't that like being said, don't like I? paywalls. Not fans of not, fan not of paywall. Fan. Very controversial issue because there are a lot of journalists who are very who think it's really important. I am a fan of nonprofit journalism. Yeah. Um, but 
All that to say, Chicago Tribune article um, came out in their business section today, breaking news. Um, United Airlines has announced that they will be carbon neutral by 2050 and that they're going to fund um, a plant to clean the air and do carbon capture. Oh. Um, so they're investing in carbon capture technology, which is risque and innovative and um, a way bigger conversation because there is... Um, a lot of I think there are a good amount of people who like don't really trust carbon capture technology or Why? just don't because it's it's like a technology that it's not as bad as geoengineering but it is I'm this isn't in the article I'm sort of talking based on like what I've heard but it's it's just it's engaging a technology you know and it's like we should just stop putting emissions into the air yeah instead of just trying to capture it but um part of the reason they're doing this is they're they're sort of at the play or like united airlines philosophy is like we're past the point of no return and planting trees isn't going to do it all for us so they signed a letter of intent to make an initial multi-million dollar investment in a in a company uh building the first industrial sized carbon capture plant in the u.s um, using direct air capture technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Um, and it's the company is um, called 1.5. Um, it's a partnership between Oxy Low Carbon Ventures, and a subsidiary of oil and gas company Accidental, and Rasheen Capital Management. Um, all sponsors. All sponsors <laughs> of the pod. And, um, yeah, if you subscribe to our Patreon, which we haven't created, that we will be interviewing the CEOs. So please like and subscribe. Um, but so so United um, has purchased carbon offsets to reduce the impact of their greenhouse gas emissions. Um, which So carbon ops, offsets are... It's you can purchase this yourself too. Um, it's like basically, uh, even though they're making emissions, they purchase carbon offsets, which like remove carbon or do environmentally friendly things somewhere else in the you know somewhere to else to like balance it. Yeah, to basically balance it, but it's still putting carbon into the yeah. atmosphere. Like it's inevitably there's still way more carbon and methane and emissions in general going into the atmosphere. Um, and they said this, that, or the United CEO, Scott Kirby said that traditional offsets do almost nothing to tackle the emissions from flying because flying uses so much, um, so much oil and gas. Um, and actually, I don't know if airplanes use gas. I'm guessing it's only oil. So yeah. Um, Traditional offsets cancel out emissions by funding programs that reduce emissions elsewhere, like forest conservation. But like the CEO is saying, it just absolutely does not do enough. Um, so the plant that United is investing in will um, capture and sequester 1 million tons of carbon dioxide each year using direct air capture technology. Mm. Um, and the project would capture enough carbon to offset nearly 10% of United's annual emissions. I would say still not enough, but um, it's like a big investment and saying that they're going to be carbon neutral by 2050 is a big deal. The thing is, carbon neutrality is different than being, um, than having net zero, net zero emissions because yeah. it's still, they're still emitting carbon. They're just investing in 
this technology that will then take carbon out of the air, but it's not like all their emissions are being taken out of the air. Yeah. Um, so, so this company is going to use the carbon dioxide captured um, it, to make low carbon oil um, before storing it deep underground. But um, the the plant won't. The the carbon captured isn't going to create new oil. Also, not sure how I feel about that, and I don't know enough about that to speak on it. But it's at least not creating oil. I wish it wasn't creating any oil. I wish they would find another way to use it. Um, but yeah, so that's exciting. And uh, United is a huge, huge company, corporation, yeah. and hopefully that will lead to other um, airlines to do it. Southwest, we're talking to you. Delta, um, you know, and yeah, that is my, that is my uh, rose of the day. I think it's exciting because especially when COVID ends, you know, People are going to be, people right now are booking their flights. The vaccines I'm getting are, my people ass are, on a plane and I am flying so far away. Elena has already booked her flight to Cabo. <laughs> people are just, people are going, I, you, you know this, people are just going to be booking vacations like it's nobody's business. Like it's going to be like the, what was it called? Not the raging 20s. Yeah, I think it was the, the raging 20s. Was it the raging 20s? But people weren't like flying places then. They weren't flying, but you know, they were just getting they were just getting, getting wasted. So fucked up. <laughs> they were just getting absolutely wasted just like sleeping in beds of cocaine. And this is going to be similar except it's all going to be flights. I think yeah. people are just going to be like so antsy to travel because there were so many lost plans this year that I think it's very exciting that uh, United has made this decision and I hope that they um, invest even more in these green technologies, and um, I, you know, I hope they, I hope they shoot for net zero. Are you are you thinking United is going to head in the right direction, and like, like this is kind of like a transitional period for them, or do you think this is kind of going to be it? Like most hmm. airlines are just going to do like the least amount which is kind of what this feels like is that they're yeah. like just like doing something that doesn't really stop what everyone's already been doing but just kind of puts a band-aid on it well yeah this sort of feels like you're putting a thorn in my rose i'm sorry um, but that's <laughs> no 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 no, no it's, it's it's true no it's true i think it depends i i will be curious to see like if other airlines do more ambitious if make more ambitious goals i think it'll depend on what our government requires. I, yeah, I think it just depends. I'll be curious yeah. to see. We don't know. Yeah, I, I just I always get like so uh, cynical of corporations as we should. Oh yeah, because making goals. Yeah, it's like me. It's like me making a goal that I'm gonna eat, not eat ice cream tonight. Okay. Yeah, it's that's impossible. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that. Um, these corporations would be like, uh, yeah, like the thing to do now is like to make a big statement. And they get off by making goals. They're yeah, like, like I, I like doubt the United CEO <laughs> cares that much. Like I'm What's sure it's Scott like Scott Kirby. Yeah, like I'm sorry, Scott, if you actually so- do really care. Sorry, Scott. We're sorry to trash you, but like I don't believe you for a fucking second. Um. 
Yeah, wait, let's look and see if he's trash. Is he trash? That's going to be another segment. <laughs> That's that going to be have. a great segment, yeah. Um, United. There are apparently many Scott Kirby's. Eco Skies, commitment to the environment. I mean, who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll look more into that. I, uh, should, we, should we email his press team and just be like, does he actually care? Yeah, that's the, all we put in the email, all lowercase, <laughs> all lowercase. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an it's they haven't created. There's no electric car of planes. Like they they just haven't found a way to make flying really environmentally friendly, and it's just like really one of the worst things that we do. <sighs> and yeah. you know, like during this time, there have still been flights going with like no people in them. So isn't it to uh, keep their time to keep spot? their, yeah. To like keep their slots at airports. Yeah. It's sickening. Well, I'm hungry. I am it's too. dinner time. Dinner time. So thanks for listening. Please, please give us a, a five star rating and love your family. Love your kids. Foster a cat and enjoy your life and get outside and enjoy nature while we still have it. <laughs>